I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. So in your opinion, is the most harmful substance in the American diet salt or sugar? I think it's salt. And uh, you know, it's kind of weighing apples and oranges. Salt is um, causing uh, 50 to 100,000 premature deaths every year. Uh, salt causes hypertension, uh, kidney disease, heart disease, and strokes. It's a pretty direct relationship. Whereas with sugar, um, a major problem is contributing to weight gain, uh, particularly beverages. That's mm -hmm. where the evidence is clearest. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Welcome to another episode of the Plant Strong Podcast. I'm Rip Esselstyn. I have a few honest questions for you as we kick off today's episode. First, do you have a love affair with the salt shaker? Are you having trouble breaking yourself of the prepackaged food addiction? Do you have a ballpark guess for the recommended amount of sodium you should be consuming on a daily basis? What about the devastating consequences of too much salt in your diet? Don't be ashamed or alarmed with any of your answers if you just don't know, because it's not your fault. We all fall prey to marketing and the lure of salty foods. Trust me, that's one of the reasons why I'm here, 
to help cut through the BS and get straight to the research and the truth about sodium. My guest today is one of the preeminent scientists who has been fighting on the front lines in Washington, D.C., literally going to political battle for my health and yours for more than 50 years. Michael Jacobson is a rock star researcher and the author of the recently released book, Salt Wars, The Battle Over the Biggest Killer in the American Diet. He is co-founder of the Center for Science and the Public Interest, which was developed in 1971 as a health advocacy group for food safety and nutrition. The CSPI may not sound familiar to you, but their work will. They are responsible for nutrition facts labeling on food products. They are also responsible for getting junk food out of schools and removing trans fat out of the food supply, just to name a few of their landmark efforts. Today, though, we talk all about our love affair with salt. Why has it become so prevalent in our diet? Much of it without us even realizing it. What are the impacts on our personal health? And most importantly, how can we ditch the desire for that extra dash at every single meal? Please welcome Michael Jacobson. So season three of the Plant Strong podcast is really about Galileo moments where we kind of look through the telescope and we, and we see the truth and it kind of sh- changes our trajectory. My question to you is you've obviously had a passion for, for nutrition, for additives. You know, you've been a, a health ad- advocacy group for years. Um, why now Salt Wars? Well, I've been working on salt since 1977. Okay. You know, I mentioned a few minutes ago that it it took 25 years to get the federal government to really take on trans fat and get it out of the food supply. And that that was fast, a quarter of a century. With salt, it's been 50 years since the first recommendation for the government to limit sodium and for industry to do so voluntarily, 50 50 years. And so we filed petitions, got appropriations for one thing or another, got got a report from the National Academy of Sciences, but sodium consumption has stayed about the same as long as it's been measured, which is roughly 40 years. Right. And sodium consumption has not declined despite all these recommendations. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of step off the battlefield for a year or so and write the story of salt, the evidence of its harmfulness. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I should say, excess salt, because a little bit of salt, you can't avoid sodium. It's in natural foods. You can be the purest vegan, and you'll still have sodium. Right. So... Um, so we're talking about excess sodium, and and, and what, is, what is the resistance in the scientific community? Because while well, the conventional, uh, most researchers agree that excess salt is harmful, there are some researchers who contend that reducing sodium would also be harmful. Yeah. And that has really muddied the water. The research is, is 
uh, junk, terribly flawed, um, but that has muddied the water and helped prevent policy changes that would reduce sodium consumption. Yeah. And so, um, so Salt Wars, my book, looks at both the science and then the policies. Yeah. And, um, and why it's taking so darn long to do anything, to get any progress. Yeah. Well, what I'd love to do right now is I'd love to pepper you with some questions about Salt Wars. Okay. Okay. Fan, let's do it. Um, I think, number one, like, what are some of the most common ways and, and why is salt used in food? Well, it's primarily used as a flavor. You know, it adds a nice flavor to lots of food. But it serves a lot of other purposes. It's a preservative. So in pickles, it's a preservative. Uh, processed meats, it's a preservative. And that's a very important function. Uh, and if salt wasn't used, then we'd need some other substances to replace it, or processes to replace it. In bread, it maintains, it helps uh, provide the, a good texture. Mm. It, when bread is made in a, in a commercial bakery, salt helps it go through the machinery. Uh, so, so it's used for a variety of purposes. Um, but companies are very often using more than is required. Yeah. So um, what, what is the average consumption of salt slash sodium uh, by Americans on a daily basis? Okay, let me throw out some numbers. Here. Sure, yeah. The average American is consuming around 3,400 milligrams a day. And that's roughly one and a half teaspoons of salt, if it were all present in the form of salt. Yeah. One and a half teaspoons. The recommendation is one teaspoon. So we're consuming 50% more. And the question is, how much do we need? Right. Some scientists have looked at a paleolithic diet to try to understand what what people ate kind of naturally tens of thousands of years ago. Um, and it's probably 800 or 1,000 milligrams mm. a day from meat and vegetables and nuts and seeds and uh, fish. Uh, so 800 to 1,000, that's less than half of our recommended limit. Mm. And then there's some societies that... Um, and now you, you still some societies that exist in uh, Africa, Asia, um, um, uh, Latin America, where these are isolated tribes. They tend to be near vegetarian, and they consume something like 100 to 400 milligrams a day. You know, a tenth of what our recommended limit and they seem to be doing pretty well and in some ways better than us right where blood high blood pressure is unknown almost unknown in those societies um, so that's the range 100 milligrams at the lowest end to americans 3400 milligrams and then in some societies rural china it might be 5000 milligrams wow a day 
Well, so is there, because I've always heard that the, the recommended minimum amount of sodium is like 500 milligrams, uh, and you're saying it could be as low as 100? That's right. And, mm -hmm. you know, those numbers, 100, 500, yeah. they're totally unrealistic for, for Americans. Mm -hmm. um, once you, especially Americans who eat packaged foods, yeah. and go to restaurants. And it doesn't matter if you're a vegan, a vegetarian, an omnivore, uh, you're going to get a, a lot of salt in all kinds of foods. And that's what makes it hard to deal with. It's not sugar. Um, we get some Americans on the whole get about 40% of their sugar, added sugars, from beverages. Soda pop, a Starbucks beverage, uh, adding a teaspoon to tea. So, but with salt, there's no food that gives 40%. Mm. It's, it's distributed throughout the food supply. Uh, bread uh, is one of the largest sources. And it's not that bread is high in sodium. It's that people eat a fair amount of bread, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. You want to throw in the pizza crust. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so bread is a major source of sodium. Right, right. Um, so in your opinion, is the most harmful substance in the American diet salt or sugar? I think it's salt. And you know, it's kind of weighing apples and oranges. Salt is um, causing uh, 50 to 100,000 premature deaths every year. 50 to 100,000. Mm. And that's um, trans fat was probably causing 50, 75,000 deaths a year. Mm. So pretty much in the league of salt, but now it's been banned. So that gets rid of that worry. Uh, salt causes hypertension, uh, kidney disease, heart disease, and strokes. It's a pretty direct relationship. Whereas with sugar, um, a major problem is contributing to weight gain, uh, particularly beverages. Mm -hmm. That's where the evidence is clearest. And so, how much? And so, Americans, uh, two thirds of adults are obese. Yeah. or overweight or obese, is, you know, it's crazy. And so what is the contribution of, of refined sugars to that? And it's really unclear mm -hmm. how much of the obesity is related to added sugars. And then uh, obesity contributes to um, um, heart attacks and uh, hypertension, a wide variety of health problems. So again, it's a little hard to map the exact uh, health consequences of sugar, added sugars, to death and disease. Clearly, people who are consuming a lot of sugar are putting themselves at great risk. Um, but, you know, when I look at some of the numbers and, and um, other scientific evidence, I think salt is, is clearly the winner. Mm, mm. <laughs> in terms of causing deaths. And I think it's, and in two years ago, the commissioner of the FDA said limiting sodium is the single most important nutrition issue in front of the FDA. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's, it shouldn't be all that hard to deal with, except politically it is. 
Right. Every company adds salt to its foods. And no company wants to jeopardize its sales by detracting from the taste of its foods. Right. And I want to talk about that in just a sec. But I'd love for you to just, again, so you're saying that salt is probably the, the, the major culprit as far as the number of deaths that it is, it is um, ha- uh, having an impact on when it comes to hypertension, stroke, and heart disease? That's right, yeah. And throw in some kidney disease while you're at it. Got it, got it. And so, and so yes, I mean, we have all these food companies, and it's crazy. I mean, you look and... Um, the amount of sodium that they have, you know, in 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 soup, in veggie stocks, in broths, and it's in everything. And in, in in your book, Salt Wars, you have some really spectacular charts that show um, some of the the packaged and boxed and canned foods in the grocery store shelves and how much sodium they have. Uh, maybe you, if you can remember any, I'd love for you to share some. And then also, likewise, you also have some really great information on how much sodium is in some of these restaurant meals like at TJIF Fridays or things like that. It will just like, it would, it would make salt come out of your ears. That's right. Um, and um, so keep in mind, 2,300 milligrams is the recommended limit. Limit, no more than yeah. milligrams. In um, a can of Campbell's chicken noodle soup, you get 2,100 milligrams. And a lot of people eat the whole can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, A frozen dinner, like, um, oh, ConAgra's Banquet Mega Bowl, Buffalo-style chicken mac and cheese, 2,100 milligrams. Yeah. So almost a whole day's worth. But if you want to really choke on the salt, go to a restaurant. (laughs) You can get, so uh, I have this chart of salt bombs at restaurants. Uh, Chili's has a dinner uh, called the Ultimate Smokehouse Combo. 8,050 milligrams of sodium. That's incredible. Right. It's almost four times the recommended limit. (laughs) Or um, uh, if you go to Denny's, uh, Denny's and IHOPs are hot dances of uh, High sodium meals. Denny's has the Grand Slam Witch with bacon and t- bacon cheddar tots, 3,920 milligrams. Um, wow. So, you know, just Red Lobster has an Admiral's Feast, 5,000 milligrams, two and a half days worth. So, those amounts are crazy. And of course, when you look at the calories, those are crazy also, crazy yeah. high, because these meals are enormous. And some people eat them, yeah. eat the whole darn thing. Well, and one of the things, one of the examples you have that I love is you have AMC's um, Bulvarian, uh, you know, huge bagel that's 7,600 milligrams just for one big bagel. I mean, not bagel, pretzel, pretzel. pretzel yeah, yeah, soft pretzel, yeah. 7,600 milligrams. Uh, you know, that's, I don't know how many calories it has. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
people don't eat that pretzel every day. The problem is everything they do eat every yeah. day yeah. is overly salted. And the goal is not zero milligrams a day. Yeah. It, uh, if companies cut down by a third or so, that would help tremendously in bringing us down to the recommended limit. And I haven't talked about a salt shaker, and that's because salt shakers don't provide that much salt to the average American. It's mostly restaurant foods and packaged foods. Those are the real problems, except some people might be, um, might be salting everything at the table, and that's clearly a problem. But, but in general, three-quarters of our sodium yeah. comes from packaged and restaurant foods. We'll be right back with Michael, but first, I'd love to share an update with you. We are really pleased to announce the return of our in-person retreats for October 2021. We'll be hosting a six-day escape to Sedona, Arizona, with our whole team, and you're invited to join us. This magical venue is the most powerful setting for transformation to take place, and due to its remote location and outdoor spaces, it's the perfect place to escape the pandemic. We do have COVID protocols in place, of course, and we've just announced all the details. So just visit plantstrong.com today to learn more. And if you're interested, register to join us this fall from October 11th to October 16th. I can't wait to meet you. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with Michael Jacobson. Yeah, you have, you have a great chart in the book, and it shows where the sodium is coming from in the, in the American diet. And yeah, like you said, 75% is coming from the packaged goods. About 5% is coming from the salt shaker. Another 6% when you cook with the salt. And then I think it's important for people to know that maybe 8 to 10% is just coming. It's naturally occurring sodium that's in the food like in the potatoes or the carrots or the celery or the the spinach, right? Yeah, or the seafood or the the, the meat. Uh, There's always some sodium present. And that's that's why these isolated tribes have been able to survive. You -hmm. you need sodium. And they get it from uh, their nuts and berries and sometimes seafood, an occasional rabbit maybe. Right, right. uh, um, so when you one one interesting thing to do is to go to the store and look at almost any section soups, salad dressings, hot dogs, and look at different brands of essentially the same product, and you typically will find quite a range of sodium levels. You know, my one food might have uh, 25 or 50 percent more sodium than. A, a different brand of the same food. Mm-hmm. And then if you look for uh, not exactly the same food, not so uh, Italian dressings, don't look at that, don't, but look at, uh, right here, here's an example, Swiss cheese. You can find slight differences between brands, but big differences when you compare Swiss cheese to cheddar cheese mm-hmm. or American cheese to pick the, the saltiest or almost the saltiest of cheeses. So just making uh, a, a relatively small switch from American cheese to Swiss cheese 
you save a lot of sodium. Yeah. And you can go to the look at the soups, and you can find some brands that have 300 milligrams per serving. Most have 800 milligrams. Yeah. And one trick that companies, and so there are a lot of tricks to reducing sodium. One trick is to use potassium chloride to replace sodium chloride. Mm -hmm. Potassium is a is an antidote to sodium. The it helps potassium helps lower blood pressure in people who have high blood pressure. And it's slightly salty. So companies can use potassium chloride to replace some of the sodium chloride. And that's why Campbell's tomato soup is lower in sodium than most other Campbell soups because there's some potassium chloride there. So why isn't why isn't uh, why aren't all the companies using potassium chloride? Well, one one reason is that potassium chloride has a bad reputation on its for two reasons. One is on its own, it can taste extremely bitter. Mm. But when it's mixed with food and sodium chloride, then there's no problem with bitterness. And, um, and the second reason is people perceive potassium chloride as um, a chemical. And God forbid we should be eating chemicals. But of course, every food is just a bunch of chemicals. <laughs> so uh, companies you know, with clean labels, companies have been trying to get rid of food additives and so many companies have feared putting potassium chloride in their foods and on the labels. But it sounds like Campbell's Soup hasn't had any problem selling tomato soup. Right. And I think, <clears throat> I think we're going to see much more of it, especially because uh, last December, the Food and Drug Administration allowed companies to say potassium salt, not potassium chloride. Mm. Yeah, that sounds a lot more appetizing. Yeah. So, so that's one trick. But a lot of companies could simply use less salt. <laughs> right. That's the tricks. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, there are other tricks. So some of the cracker makers only salt one side of the cracker. And that cuts down, maybe cuts down 50%. Right. Uh, and we see a fair number of of reduced sodium foods like um, tortilla chips, or potato chips, peanuts. Uh, it's easy to get the full sodium, but low sodium or reduced sodium are perfectly fine. Well, you know, and the reason why the, you can be so effective at reducing the sodium with potato chips, crackers, and uh, chips is because just a little bit of sodium salt on the outside, it, it, hits, it all, hits all those taste receptors on your tongue, and it feels like there's a lot when, in fact, there isn't. Unlike bread, where it's baked in there and you can't hardly notice it. I, another comment I want to make, because you mentioned cheese there. And, of course, this is the Plant Strong podcast where we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to uh, stop worshiping at the Church of Cheeses seven days a week. So uh, I'm ho hoping the listeners there are staying away from the, the Swiss and the cheddar cheeses. <laughs> and all that sodium and all that fat. <laughs> but would you, I haven't looked at vegan cheeses. Yeah. I have no idea how much sodium is in them. Yeah. But it would be fun to look at. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's a shocker. I'm I'm sure it's not pretty. Yeah. yeah so now the the 
the political battle is, um, let me go back 10 years. Sure. In 2010, the National Academy of Sciences told the Food and Drug Administration that there was, there was no progress in reducing sodium during the years when the FDA was encouraging voluntary action. The National Academy of Sciences recommended mandatory limits on sodium in different food categories. It took six years for the FDA to come out with voluntary, not mandatory, voluntary limits on sodium. That was four and a half years ago. The FDA never finalized those proposed guidelines. If if all companies adhered to those guidelines, yeah. that would bring sodium consumption down to the recommended 2,300 milligrams a day. So now the the challenge to the Biden administration is to finalize those voluntary guidelines and see how they work. The FDA those guidelines had a two year they had a two year um, goal and then a 10-year final goal. 10 years, crazy, you know, crazy to wait 10 years. But the FDA needs to finalize at least the two-year goals and then see what kind of progress has been made. If not enough progress was made, then the FDA should institute some mandatory limits. Mm. Because every year, we're losing 50 to 100,000 people prematurely, totally unnecessarily. Yeah. Well, if it's just if it's just voluntary, I mean, how many how many companies are going to abide by a voluntary mandate? I mean, don't you think it has to be made mandatory? Yeah, it probably does. Though uh, Britain adopted some voluntary guidelines back around two thousand five, and they uh, they pushed them real hard. They had a, a public education campaign using paid media advertising, very clever ads, that made sure people knew about sodium, its harms, and to read labels. Is that with, was that with Sid the Slug? Sid the Slug, that's right. <laughs> right. You know, you sprinkle salt on a slug, and I haven't tried it, but I, I suppose it dies. But, um, and the second thing was to beat up on the food industry, mm. sometimes publicly, more generally privately. And they found Britain found a 10 to 15 percent reduction in sodium consumption in six years. And remember, the goal is not 100 percent. The goal in Britain was also 33 percent. So they got one third to one half of the way there in six years with a voluntary program. Nice. So um, I've, I've been urging the FDA to have to. If they want a voluntary program, go ahead with it. But to really educate consumers, get con- people reading labels, looking for lower sodium brands, mm. and beating up on industry, they could reduce sodium. Almost every company could reduce sodium. Some companies are making an effort already. But, uh, you know, so that's where the battle uh, lies. Do you, know, do you know what is it about salt that enhances the flavor of everything that it's in. Well, I think it's 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 really biological that our uh-huh. our tongue was evo- evolved to 
look for salty foods. You know, when, as humans developed, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, sodium was a rare, salt you know, was a rare commodity, and, and sodium was pretty unusual. Um, if we started as vegetarians, very little sodium in, in plant-based foods. Mm. And there's a little bit of sodium, a little more sodium in animal products. And so a, a preference for sodium was, was evolution's way of encouraging us to chow down on salty foods. So before restaurants, before packaged foods, mm-hmm. before salt shakers, there was no problem at all. Right. But now uh, our tongue is overpowering our brain, and we go for those uh, salty uh, pretzels and frozen dinners and s- soups, and and they they taste good, but it's it's very it's pretty easy to get accustomed yeah. to less salty foods, and if you go on a lower salt diet for a month or two months. You pretty much cure yourself of the desire for real salty foods. Yeah, big time. I, I I have found that you know I've been on a not not I mean just because of the way I eat, you know a lot of whole plant based foods, minimum a minimal amount of processed uh, packaged uh, plant based foods. That uh, my sodium my palate has become so discerning with with salt, and if it's if I have a, a, a typical like commercialized soup or something like that, it is almost unpalatable to me at this point, um, which which I'm pretty happy with. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, most people find that they they don't miss it really. Yeah. And um, yeah. So, uh, but you know there are there's things like soy sauce, of course, are loaded with salt. Yeah. And. A lot of vegans will add seasonings to their food. Absolutely. God forbid they use a salt shaker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one uh, um, one thing that could help is that every supermarket sells light salt. Mm. Morton makes light salt and, and some other companies do. And that has 50% less sodium per teaspoon than regular salt. Ah. And that's what I use as my general salt. When a recipe calls for salt, first thing I do is, if they say one teaspoon, I think, okay, I'll try half a teaspoon. And then I'll use light salt, and that really brings the sodium down uh, quite considerably. Oh, that's a, smart, that's a smart little tip. I've never thought, I didn't even know there was light uh, salt out there. And huh. we shouldn't trick ourselves. A lot of vegans and vegetarians love to flaunt the sea salt. Yeah. And sea salt is is really no better than regular salt. It might have a teeny bit more flavor, but the the laboratory tests I've seen yeah. say that they really don't. And sea salt typically has as much sodium as regular salt. Well, I think in your book, don't you say that almost all salt is in fact sea salt? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can... Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's how we, uh, <laughs> old seas are now mines right. in the depths of Kansas. And, and so that's sea salt. Yeah. But it's also commercial, regular salt is highly purified. Sea salts are not purified to that extent. 
but the minerals that they talk about in the sea salt are typically vanishingly small. You know, there's no nutritional benefit from those minerals. Right. What um, <clears throat> you mentioned the uh, uh, United Kingdom as an example of a country that's kind of doing things right to reduce the uh, the amount of sodium. Any other countries that are doing? Well, yeah, uh, Chile, Mexico. Uh, Uruguay, Peru, and Israel are trying a different approach. And what, what they've done is said, you can add as much salt to your foods as you want, but you have to put a warning label on foods that are high in sodium. And another warning label if they're high in sugar. Another one if they're high in saturated fat. Another if they're high in calories. So they've set limits. And any food that has more than so much sodium, so much sugar, has to have a warning loop. Wow. And they've seen some really dramatic reductions in sodium. I don't know about those other uh, right. nutrients. But at least sodium, uh, that's, uh, they've seen some real reductions. Chile was the first country to do that. Canada was considering it. And then I think pressure from industry stopped them. But that would be another approach not as effective as a mandatory limit, um, but it's it's an interesting approach. So to those countries that did the warning labels, was that a mandatory? Yeah, okay. that's mandatory. Yeah, um, and Israel, in a way, went one better, and they, they defined a good food symbol that companies could use if their food is, is really healthy. Mm-hmm. You, um, in the book, you have a whole chapter on the activities of the salt institute that has since disbanded that's right which is very very interesting because they it was founded in 1914 and and it uh and they disbanded for whatever reason maybe you'd like to talk about that but one of the things that i found that was fascinating is that is that only three percent of salt that's out there in the world goes to food and the remainder goes to like you know the roads and um and other uses yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, trade associations never die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, they're always around to cause trouble. But the the Salt Institute is the uh, association of salt manufacturers, and so it's Morton, Cargill, and a few other companies. And I, I asked the former head of the Salt Institute why they care so much about table salt. Yeah. It's only 3% of all salt. And he said, look, they care about every product they make. Every product is a profit center. And so they're going to defend every product. And so they've been a perpetual source of pro-salt propaganda for decades. Mm. They they will target anyone who dares to criticize salt or salty foods, and they lobby the they they lobbied the government. Um, they uh, publish reports and books and videos, you know, kind of a full service trade association. But amazingly, a year ago, uh, they died, hmm. and they went out of business. I wasn't able to find out why they went out of business. The board members wouldn't return my phone calls. But um, it, it could be that 
the, the food industry and the salt manufacturers have seen the writing on the wall. The World Health Organization, the American Heart Association, the Department of Agriculture, the National Academy of Sciences all say to cut down on salt. And there, there's pressure overseas in Britain, uh, Latin America, and other countries to reduce salt. And I think the industry knows that the low-sodium movement is coming to the United States. Voluntarily, mandatory, mm-hmm. mandatorily, whatever. But it's coming. And they might have just decided to stop wasting their money on this trade association that um, became um, just um, uh, kind of buffoons, where <laughs> right. they're defending the indefensible. Right. Um, so, um, so good riddance. Right, right. Well, you, it's, you know, Michael, you seem like you, um, you're a bit of a gentle tiger, and, uh, and you're kind of fearless. Um, do, you, do you find that that's something that, have you always been like that? Or is that just something where you're trying to basically go for the truth and, and make things right and be a, you know, a health advocate for basically, you know, the, uh, the public interest? Um, are you, do you feel like you're a tough guy? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, when I started 50 years ago, I was, uh, uh, rowdier, shall we say, uh, uh, really uh, accusing the food industry of producing nothing but junk food, and I wouldn't get much argument, and I, so I used a fair amount of rhetoric, mm-hmm. but you know, in a way I've toned down, partly because the issue, the food supply, has gotten much more diverse, things are more complicated, vegans barely existed 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, vegetarians were considered weird. <laughs> and um, and all the food was junk. Now, you can go to a, a, a grocery store, not just Whole Foods, and you can find a lot of whole grain products, products lower in sodium, mm-hmm. um, uh, vegan kinds of products, you know, much wider range. In restaurants, if you search around, you can often find a healthy food. And now there are all these salad restaurants. So things have gotten uh, more subtle. All the big food companies have bought organic brands or vegetarian kinds of brands. Um, so uh, the, the food company, big food companies, aren't. Um, uh, I can no longer. I no longer see them as being pure evil. Mm. They're hedging their bets. They see America moving in a healthier direction, albeit slowly, but we're moving. I think in the right direction, and uh, we're seeing. So Whole Foods, to pick a kind of a big example, has been a pressure on the whole food industry, uh, supermarket industry in particular. Yeah to uh, provide more fruits and vegetables Mm. and a healthier mix of foods. So kind of the vituperation that was appropriate 50 years ago uh, doesn't jive with reality. Mm -hmm. So so I think my my tone has changed. But from the very beginning, I really uh, based my advocacy on scientific facts. Mm -hmm. And in writing 
when I started my book on food additives, I started in 1970, uh, I looked at other books on food additives, and there were maybe three or four out there. And the authors tried to find something wrong with every single food additive. And the fact is, most of them are harmless. Mm -hmm. And and so that's so my book, Eater's Digest, um, put uh, acknowledged that this food additive is safe, and this other one is questionable, should be studied more, and that that one over there is is probably harmful. So um, so we 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 tend we look for what are the problems and saturated fat, high sugar foods, trans fat, mm-hmm. sodium. Uh, refined grains rather than whole grains, you know, in all those areas, there's there's quite a bit of scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. Well, you should be you should be super proud of uh, of what you've done over the last fifty plus years. Pretty remarkable. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you very much. Uh, but you know, when you look at some things like, uh, please don't gauge my effectiveness by looking at sodium consumption. <laughs> Despite years of effort, it doesn't yeah. change. Yeah. Or obesity. Yeah. You know, we're pushing a healthy diet to reduce obesity, which has done nothing but become more and more prevalent in our society. Yeah. So, well, you got you There's a confluence of factors that are going on right now that that are making that making that a challenge. No doubt. Right. No doubt about it. What What are some? Uh, so, in your book, you mentioned that you know you have some hope. There's some companies and and schools that are doing some, uh, and even the federal government that that are doing some things to kind of curb the the sodium here in uh, in America. Can you give me some examples? Well, I mentioned one thing, two things for the Food and Drug Administration. One is that they are allowing the term potassium salt to be used yep. in place of of salt. And potassium salt could uh, uh, have a huge impact on our sodium consumption. And the FDA has proposed voluntary guidelines. Hopefully they'll finalize those and maybe lead to some progress. Uh, Most of the big companies like McDonald's and General Mills and Unilever and Nestle all say that they're lowering sodium levels. And they're doing it. And it's it's they're making some slow progress. Mm-hmm. So so I'm I'm hopeful there. And supermarkets, at least they're offering some lower sodium foods. The big companies are making some lower sodium foods. Not they're not all mainstream. But when you see Campbell reducing sodium in tomato soup, Campbell's convinced tomato soup, they reduced it by about a third. You know, that shows that there's some real progress in mainstream foods. And it's the Department of Agriculture that oversees school foods. The Obama administration had uh, uh, rules to gradually lower sodium levels in school breakfasts and lunches. Hmm. And they had three stages. First stage went into effect. Uh, The second, the Trump administration delayed the second stage by five years, and it killed the third stage completely. Hmm. All under the guise of, let's make school meals great again, you know, making them more harmful. And the Biden administration needs to 
get back to the old rules and uh, get kids accustomed to less salty foods. Yeah. Are, are you are you in uh, Washington D.C. right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Washington, and that's where Center for Science yeah. and Public Interest yeah. is. Yeah, I, I knew that. I didn't know if you still, though, personally resided in, in the D.C. area. Yeah. You, you've been there for how long then? 50 years? 1970. Wow. Yeah, 51 years. Wow. Do you like it there? Love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful, interesting, beautiful city. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. So um, I'd love for you to let our listeners know what are some things that they can do in in their kitchens uh, when they're buying food at the grocery store uh, that can allow them to m- get their sodium intake at 2300 or below consistent consistently I know your last chapter in the book you kind of talk about what can I and my family do um, yeah. and I, and I love I love what you said earlier about something as simple as buying you know light light salt that's right. That's one simple thing. Yeah. And another thing is when you're shopping, look for lower sodium brands. That in any food category, you could probably find something lower in sodium than what you're consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, fill up on natural whole foods. Woo! <laughs> Do more cooking. Rely less on packaged foods. Mm-hmm. And then... Eat out less. Mm. People hate when I say that. But eat out less. If you do eat out, try to split entrees with a friend. Split appetizers with a friend or bring half of them home. Mm -hmm. The portions are typically huge. You can make a meal last for two meals and cut down on your sodium intake. So that's all people have to do. It isn't hard. No, those, those are simple, simple, very effective um, action steps that everybody should take. One of the, one of our th- um, one of our guidelines when it comes to uh, reading um, package labels is we want to keep the milligrams of sodium in a one to one ratio with the number of calories per serving, and then that usually is a good indicator that you're not going to OD uh, on the the packaged uh, sodium that's in that product. Yeah, that's a good guideline. I, I use that in my book. They're roughly a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. If you get to two, if you get to two to one, that's a real problem. <laughs> but three to one, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting, you know, this this you've done a really a phenomenal job with this book. It is so comprehensive. Uh, you know, I, I think you've got eleven or twelve chapters, and each one is just really it's fascinating. Uh, the the work and the research that you put into putting together this book, Salt Wars, and I commend you on it. Nicely done, Michael. Thank you very much, Rip. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Oh, listen, my pleasure, and I, I wish I would have had you several years ago, uh, but as soon as I saw Salt Wars, um, and, and can you, do you have it right there in front of you? Can you show it to people? Salt Wars, the battle over the biggest killer in the American diet. There it is. And we'll, we'll be sure to put a link in our show notes uh, for, for people that want to want to get Great. that. Yeah, Thank absolutely. So oh, my pleasure. Hey, 
Michael, huge congrats on uh, on everything you've done in your career. Uh, I love the fact that you're you're just keep on keeping on. And my mother and father wanted me to tell you hello, and they wish you all the best. Oh, great! Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay. Peace. Engine two. Keep it plant strong. <laughs> bye bye. Simply put, Michael Jacobson is a warrior, and. Even though change doesn't always happen as quickly as we would like, we have people like Michael to thank for initiating big change in the first place. The needle is moving in the right direction. For more information on his book, Salt Wars, and other episode resources, visit plantstrongpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true. I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Kryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.